Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. Each week we bring you the very best blues coverage, courtesy of The Athletic's Chelsea experts. On today's show, we look back on the washout at Old Trafford, ahead to match day two in the Champions League. We'll preview Saturday's trip to Burnley and answer your questions. All that and more to come on this episode of Straight Out of Cobham. Yes, hello listener. Thanks for being with us. I'm Matt Davis-Adams, still recovering from Saturday's thriller at Old Trafford. I'm joined by three of the Athletics' finest. Hello, Liam Toomey. Hello. Uh, Good morning, Simon Johnson. Very good morning to you, Matt. (laughs) And come in, Dominic Fifield. Hello. I'm disconcerted by Simon's positivity. I I know. (laughs) Nil-nils clearly um, clearly make him happy. Still buzzing. Still buzzing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I want to start with a a key question from from JP on Twitter. I'll put it to you, Simon, since he's in such a good mood today. Uh, Lampard's beanie or Tony Pulis's cap? Who wore it better? (laughs) What a random question. (laughs) Um, I'm going to stick by Super Frank. I I think um, I thought he looked tremendous as, as the rain poured down Old Trafford. That's extraordinary. Yeah, um, unbelievable. I mean, Pulis's cap is an institution, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Dom, clearly you're with me. I thought Lampard's <sighs> beanie just made his head a bit too spherical. There was a <laughs> there was a, t- a tweet that went out from a, a few ex-Gillingham players over the weekend of a, Tony Pulis delivering a team talk to the Gillingham team. Uh, must have been about probably about 15, 20 years back. And Pulis doesn't wear his cap. And for the first five minutes of this expletive-ridden team talk. I wasn't entirely convinced it was Tony Pulis on the screen. It was. It just doesn't look the same without the cap on. And, he's, and his hair's weird as well, by the way. It's not... It's, anyway, sorry. I, I uh, um, uh, Liam, this is a problem for managers that, that's been the case since, what, 2007, 2008? You know, that beanie must have been soaked by the end of the game, but nobody's going to be holding an umbrella on the touchline. So, so thanks for that, Steve McLaren. Yeah, not even Steve McLaren. I remember a few a few years ago going to the QPR Derby County Championship Playoff Final and it absolutely poured down um, around kickoff for about 20 minutes and Steve McLaren looked like a drowned rat at the end of it because he didn't have the heart to ask for an umbrella from anyone. So scarred was he by the newspaper front pages. Um, yeah, no, no manager's ever going to do that again. But I, I did feel that it had the side effect of making Frank Lampard look a little bit like a burglar. <laughs> well, Chelsea stole a point from their visit to yes, Old Trafford nicely. and so on. Yes, yes. OK, uh, let's deal with that snooze fest at Old Trafford.
So like London buses, nil-nil draws seem to come all at once for Chelsea. None under Frank Lampard until Sevilla came to town last week. And then lo and behold, another follows just four days later as the most hyped Premier League game of the weekend delivered a suitably underwhelming 90 minutes. Um, Simon, we said nil-nil against Sevilla was was a decent result. Does this come into the same category or, or the fact that United have been so poor at home? Does that mean it's a slight disappointment? No, I'm going with good result. If, if you read my um, piece, you'll sort of see why I argue why. I mean, it was very much out of the Jose Mourinho playbook, I thought, that clearly it felt to me that Lampard was stung and, and had memories still of what happened the last visit to Old Trafford. Yes, United have had two poor results before this, but United are set up to capitalise most. They're one of those teams that could capitalise most on Chelsea's weakness which is on the counter. And it just felt like Chelsea were, whatever was going to happen today, we're not going to get caught on the on the counter. Mendy came to the rescue um, on a few occasions, but I just thought it was really encouraging signs from a defensive point of view. You can't have it both ways. You can't have, you can't criticise Frank Lampard one week for being too cavalier and being, and, and conceding too many goals and then criticising for being too cautious. Yes, there are, it doesn't mean it was a great display. Um, I think there are many moments where Chelsea were very sloppy in possession in, in an attacking sense. The final ball just wasn't good enough. I thought Werner and Havertz didn't do enough. But overall, I think it was, uh, it was a good point. And especially when I've argued a few times on this pod, the first few months of the season is a damage limitation exercise. Well, here we are, six games in, and we're recording this before the Tottenham game, but whatever happens, they're only four points off top spot. And I think Frank Lampard would have taken this situation before ball was kicked. And given that there's been so much criticism of Chelsea's defence, Liam, we ought to give Lampard and his staff some credit for, for whatever they've done between Southampton and the United game, including Sevilla, to, to shore things up. It can't just be that Mendy and, and Thiago Silva were playing. There must be more to it than that, surely. Yeah, I think it's I think it's broadly encouraging in that the the biggest question about Lampard coming out of that Southampton game and coming out of these first few games of the season was did he know how to set up a coherent solid defensive structure and did he know how to drill a team to kind of make that transition from in possession to out of possession and really have that kind of shift in mentality which good teams have which is now the now is the point where we get back and we defend as a unit. The last two two games have shown that Chelsea are capable of doing that. It's come at the expense of the attack, so we can't we can't uh, pretend that it's an entirely positive outlook. But it is encouraging because I think it's shown us that Lampard can do something that we didn't necessarily know he could do before. Um, and now comes the biggest challenge, which actually very few teams consistently achieve and that's why they're the teams that generally win trophies which is that balance that balance is really really difficult to strike between being really good defensively and being really good going forward and, and that's what Chelsea have to work towards to now I, I looked into the stats from old, from old Trafford remember when I said that Sevilla was their worst attacking performance under Lampard XG of 0.36 <laughs> this was this was worse XG of 0.22 they also weren't as good defensively as they were against Sevilla. And, I mean, you saw that because United had a couple of very good chances. Uh, so th th there's room for improvement, I think, at both ends. Clearly, 
a lot more to do in the attacking half of the pitch. But it, it seems uh, quite refreshing to be talking about Chelsea clean sheets for once. Yeah, and unless we forget, Dom, one point could easily have been three had Chelsea got a penalty in the first half when Maguire wrapped his arms around Cesar Azpilicueta. It felt like the officials dealt with that far too quickly. You can understand how Martin Atkinson maybe didn't see it, but I'm not sure what the VAR's excuse was. I'm with you. I, I don't know. It was a it was a headlock. Um, I mean, it probably looked worse in in slow mo, like everything always does. But but it, yeah, it looked like a penalty, and I don't understand the the VAR's role in all this. But to be honest, I'm not even sure the officials really understand the VAR's role in all this either. So <laughs> we seem to be making this up week by week at the moment. I, I suspect that if United really wanted to kick up a fuss at you know, the, the furore over that non-award of a penalty, they could probably find incidents of Chelsea players um, manhandling United players in the other box. I mean, that's just the way that football is played. Um, it's just it's, it's just almost on a whim as to whether the VAR stroke um, actually on-field referee picks up on it, though. Um, it's so random, you, you can't predict it from one week to the next. I, I agree with Liam in terms of the, the test now, to move on from this, I know we, we're always we're always telling saying saying we've got a, the next test is, is is there to to be tackled, but the the next six games are eminently winnable, all of them, but they're going to require a bit more of an expansive game. We can't we, we can't be sitting here saying you know fantastic fantastic um, another clean sheet, but the xG's gone down again. So Liam is getting all excited and now to zero point one and minus numbers. Um, Can't go down much more. <laughs> I'm sure they'll find a way. Um, it's you know, they need to they need to find that balance. They they need to find a way of of remaining as stingy as possible at the back, but with having a bit more enterprise and a bit more endeavour and invention going forward. Um, they're going to come up against stubborn defence. Um, amongst this this run of matches, whether that be in the Champions League or in the Premier League, so okay, we've 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 shown now that that Chelsea can do clean sheets against good opponents, and I, I still count United as that. I don't think there's, I still think if you get a nil nil at Old Trafford, it's it's a point to be celebrated, whoever you are, really. Um, and Sevilla are a very good team. Well, let's see how they deal with Krasnodar and Burnley and and Newcastle and Wren and people like that. Wanted to have a look at a couple of individual performances. We we'll start start with the good Simon uh, Mendy and Thiago Silva, uh, in particular, stood out, and that kind of reliability that those two have provided seems to seems to have quickly become quite important to Chelsea. Mendy, in particular, you know, it could have been very different for him had that miss hit pass rolled into his own net in the first half, but but thereafter, you just sensed that those around him felt a bit better that that, that he was backing them up and. And not Caporal Caballero. For sure. I mean, the, in, in many ways, we, we owe a debt also for that past moment because it woke everybody up. Um, it's almost like Mendy had fallen asleep because the game was so dull. Um, but in terms of his his saves, it, it's easy to say I'm not sure Kepa would have saved those, but he, he certainly got that impression that on too many occasions when teams have been in that position the ball would have been in the back of the net as the stats show um the way he reached for the last minute shot from Rashford I must admit from my great vantage point from the couch uh <laughs> watching it on TV I thought it was in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer thought it was in it was just a great save the way he narrowed the angle uh, for Rashford when he was running through yeah there was still a little bit of a corner which perhaps Rashford should have done better at aiming for but I just can't. It, it reminded me a little bit of the chance that 
that West Brom scored when uh, when they were through on goal and, and Caballero got nowhere near it. it I, I just I just do feel that there's a there's a greater confidence. Don't want to get carried away because it's only been a few appearances, but I've liked what I've seen so far. Thiago Silva, absolute different class. The the, the only um, negative about his signing, apart from that little uh, faux pas at West Brom, is that it's come too late in terms of his career. He's, he's being 36. Um, it's just a shame Chelsea couldn't sign him earlier, as, as far as I'm concerned, because he just he just looks a different calibre of defender that, that Chelsea haven't had for a number of years. And it's not just like his positioning, the quality of his defending. He's brilliant on the ball as well, the way he pings these passes into people's feet. And it really sort of helps Chelsea sort of keep their composure at the back there. But I also just want to give a quick shout out to Ben Shilwell as well. I, I think his introduction to the, the back four or back five, um, or back three, sorry, on Saturday has made a difference too. And, and the three of them, it's no surprise that in the three of the last four games when they have played together, they've kept a clean sheet. The only time Silver and Mendy haven't been present was in that 3-3 draw with Southampton. And I think that speaks volumes. So that's at the back. Dom, I want to switch our attention to uh, to midfield. A question that's coming from Maloof who wants to know, what does Kovacic have to do to get a game? Feels like the last time we saw him, he was receiving the Player of the Year trophy. It is odd how he seems to have fallen out of favour so quickly. I suppose so. I mean, he did get rave reviews last season, but was I mean, there were periods when he was in and out of the team then as, as well, I think. Um, I just think it's about balance again in that midfield and... What what does he what does he offer? Where is it? What is his best position? It's it's probably in a three, um, and of late, Chelsea haven't been doing that. They've either been playing the three four three they did at Old Trafford, in which case you're going to have two almost conventional central midfielders in Jorginho and Conte, um, or he's been playing four two three one. And again, you're asking two lad two 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 guys to sit um, slightly deeper and nominally shield of the back line, um, which is what, again, Jorginho and Conte were trusted in doing. And I think Kovacic, probably his assets are, are more forward-thinking than that. He probably wants to be... I mean, Liam, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's he's more of a sort of an attack-minded eight, really, rather than a, rather than a six. Oh, there's my weekly report suddenly come through. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, my, my screen time's been very much up this last week. Um, yeah, but I, 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 just, I just think he's, he's, he's probably best suited for a 4-3-3 and at the moment as we stand that's not a formation that that Lampard wants to play and it may be that the addition of Havertz and and trying to accommodate him him into the into the team as a you know the record outfield signing etc um takes priority over over Kovacic and that you know he that whether he's a 10 or whether he's playing wide in the 3-4-3 that, that actually that has a, a knock-on effect to, to Kovacic's ability to get into this starting lineup. Well, that segues nicely onto, onto my next point. Um, we're lucky to have the president of the Kai Havertz fan club with us today <laughs> in Liam. Um, I've been disappointed in his contribution so far, Liam. Um, tell me he's going to improve. We've got a tweet here from Zane who, who's asking if it's right to be basing the tactics of the team around Havertz, which Dom's kind of alluded to might, might be the case to an extent. He, he's going to get better, isn't he? I don't know if it's just his languid style that's making me think that he's not what, what we were sold, but he is early into his career of course at Chelsea God it's Mesut Ozil all over again isn't it his, lang- <laughs> his language style does he work hard enough um, yeah of course he's going to get better he's he's a young player um, and 
despite the price tag. You know, that, that remains the case. He's an exceptionally talented player, one that pretty much any elite European club would have wanted and would have been happy to, to build around for the next five, six years. Uh, so the hype when Chelsea signed him was not unjustified. But he, he will take time. It was all, I think it was always clear, at least it was always clear to me, um, that players like Timo Werner and Hakim Ziyech, all right, we haven't seen it as much with him because of injury, but they, they're more fully formed signings. They're going to be ready to come in and contribute and do what they do well straight away. Whereas Havertz is, is still trying to find his way as a player, not, not just in a new league, in a new team. He's trying to find out what his best position is because he was used in a variety of different roles for Leverkusen and was, was good in all of them. But um, I think part of that is he, is he needs to find the right kind of structure um, and, and maybe Chelsea needs to do a better job of putting an attacking structure around him. I don't think Lampard's cause has been helped by the fact that he's got so many other new attacking players to bed in. Uh, but I would expect Havertz to, to get better. Look, we've we've seen flashes already. We've seen flashes of the quality. I think whenever he gets into scoring positions, his finishing is excellent. And he's got very good instincts for when to attack the box. And so I think as Chelsea's attacking um, structure, cohesion and confidence improves, I think Havertz will improve with it. And, and as he adjusts more to the kind of physicality and the intensity of Premier League football, as as all foreign players have to do when they first come into the league, um, he'll only get better too. Um, okay, we're wrapping up our, our coverage of the United game now. But Simon, I just wondered, uh, is there any reason for concern that the likes of Tamori Christensen and Hudson-Odoi didn't even didn't even make the squad? Not sure if there are any injury issues, maybe Krasnodar in mind, but it, it stood out to me that those three academy grads weren't part of the, the match day squad. The thing is, is if you look at the bench, I suppose the biggest surprise is seeing Rudiger on the bench for the first time since Brighton. But in a way, look, they've got to sort of um, come back together again, Lampard and Rudiger. So in a way, is it that big a surprise? Can't really sort of have a a Germany international uh, sulking away in in the background for a few months. So that inevitably sort of makes it harder to fit Tamori and Christensen both on the bench. And then if you actually look at who else is on the bench, it's it it was all very attack-minded uh, substitutions in mind. You know, if you consider Kovacic and Mason Mount, you know, given the readers, um, listeners' <laughs> views of those two. Um, but I, I think, you know, he, he's clearly gone for attacking options. Um there, then you sort of question Callum Hudson-Odoi. Why isn't he there? Good question. Do you really need Abraham and Giroud on the bench, given it's very unlikely that both of them would come on? Hudson-Odoi just seems to continue to get bits and pieces under Lampard. Um, if this was Maurizio Sarri, there'd be uh, transfer requests being handed in. And you, you do sort of have to wonder whether in January we're going to be sort of hearing more noises of, of Hudson-Odoi perhaps wanting to move on because with the European Championships next summer, um, he, he was in the England picture um, about a year ago. Well, now he's nowhere near it and he's not going to get near it watching games from the sidelines. So um, definitely one a situation to watch. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Right, last question on the game against Manchester United or related thereto. One word answer from each, please. Who's going to finish higher in the Premier League this season, Chelsea or United? Liam, you can go first. I feel like they're kind of the same team, but (laughs) one word, um, Chelsea. Simon? Chelsea. Dom for the full house? Palace. (laughs) <laughs> very good <laughs> right as is customary this season not long to wait until the next game that's in Russia on Wednesday we'll preview it next so it's 5-6 to six in the evening UK time for the kickoff away to Krasnodar Chelsea making the 4,000 mile plus round trip to the south of Russia uh, Krasnodar ninth in the Russian Premier League after 11 games. Lost 3-1 at home to Spartak Moscow at the weekend. Victor Moses amongst the scorers for Spartak. Uh, Krasnodar drew their Champions League opener away at Rennes. Uh, Chittish, sorry for butchering the pronunciation of your name, Chittish, asks, should we expect heavy rotation from Saturday? Uh, Liam, I guess we might see the likes of Christensen, Tamori and Hudson-Odoi here, maybe. Yeah, I suppose it de- it depends on what you term heavy rotation as how many changes qualify. I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, four or five. Uh, but I think any manager runs the risk of really disrupting any any sort of um, continuity or, or rhythm in the team. If he makes more changes like that, it starts to resemble a Carabao Cup team at that point. Um, and Chelsea do have enough recovery time not factoring in the plane travel from from Man United not to have to make that many changes so I think Lampard's going to play a pretty strong team the fact that they they drew the severe game means they they kind of need to take care of business against Krasnodar and Wren um, so that the, there is an, a sense of urgency to win this game uh, but but there could also be an opportunity for for two or three of those guys to to, to come in and impress and of course we've we've already discussed with Hudson Adoy he'll be the one probably feeling the most desperate at this point uh, to actually get some game time and and show what he can do particularly with all of Lampard's other attackers now fit and ready to play Simon would you expect Lampard to to revert to a back four for this game Yes um I think the back three at United uh, was a one-off, uh, and certainly for the time being, um, he'll now be looking. He's got to go and look for wins, uh, as Dom alluded to earlier. The, the, the this run of games, you, you have to look at the records. One three out of, out of nine. That's the sort of caveat of my positivity from earlier. Um, for for a Chelsea manager, that that's not enough. Um, and he'll want to get this group stage um, sorted, qualified, dealt with as soon as possible. And by doing that, you've got to go for it in in these winnable games against Krasnodar and, and Wren. Yeah, it's not going to be quite the same intimidating kind of atmosphere that you'd expect. The, the biggest hindrance, of course, is the trip itself, um, especially coming after you know a, a gruelling game against... Manchester United, but Chelsea really should have 
too much for Krasnodar. Um, they're quite a new club. They've only been going for um, since 2008. So Chelsea really got to go for this. Try and get the try and get the win, and and that will really then sort of give them a nice timely boost of confidence ahead of the Burnley match. I can't believe Simon just tried out the you ain't got no history line about Krasnodar. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Who are you? Who are you? Yeah. Tom, everything's set up for Chelsea to win this game, isn't it? There might be some supporters in the stadium, but but probably not more than 10% of the stadium's capacity. You know, you think of the other tropes of playing away in the Champions League in Russia. You think in frozen pitch. I've just looked at the weather for Krasnodar on Wednesday. It's going to be 23 degrees and sunny. There's not really oh, an excuse <laughs> for Chelsea to do anything but win this game, is there? No, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think it's an opportunity for Chelsea to to really kickstart their, their Champions League group after a, a, a good defensive performance against Sevilla. They're not playing against any pedigree in this in this competition. They're not many members of that of that Krasnodar side who have much Champions League experience. And the, and the ones that do are sort of veteran players in their mid-30s. Um, I don't think Remy Cabea, who's a player that we might know from the Premier League, from his, his season or two at Newcastle, I don't think he's... he's fit enough to play um, they've got a 34 year old Swede who, who leads the line for them who I don't think will, will have Chelsea players quaking in their boots in the build up to the game a fellow called Marcus Berg but really I mean, there is actually a, a sort of Swedish flavour to to this Krasnodar side but they're sort of workmanlike to be honest and, and that means it's an opportunity for Chelsea the, the very fact that that, um, that Ren and Krasnodar Drew, therefore one of them dropped, well they both dropped points, but one of them missed out an opportunity in starting this group with a win and, and, and pushing for that for those top two places has, has, has really played into the hands of Sevilla and Chelsea and now it's a matter of imposing quality and pedigree on the section and, and I fully expect Chelsea, whatever selection that, that uh, Frank Lampard comes up with uh, to, to secure that away win. Well, after that long trip across the continent, Chelsea won't have long to recover. The Blues go to Burnley on Saturday. We'll have a quick look at that game next. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Burnley in the autumn. What could be nicer? Um, don't answer that. We haven't got long left. Uh, still, Chelsea will be at Turf Moor on Saturday for a three o'clock kickoff. We're recording this pod before Burnley's game with Spurs on Monday. Prior to that, though, the Clarets yet to win. Uh, Chelsea also got a great record at Turf Moor, won their last three, scored four in each of the last two, never been beaten there in the Premier League. Um, why then, Simon, does Turf Moor often get cited as a tough place to go by cliche enthusiasts? 
I think because of the amount of difficulty they, they give perhaps other opposition. Um, but not so against big six teams, does it? They, they never beat a big six team at, at Turf Moor, it seems to me. I, I just wonder if it's a bit of a kind of, well, they're a bit like Stoke, so let's just bracket them in with them. Yeah, well, true, true. Um, it's funny, so I've not really thought about it, that, that Chelsea's record has, has been that good. Um, I, I think perhaps it's the journey. <laughs> like, it's always a difficult place to go and that's just for those of us that cover the club um, but yeah I mean you, you just look at them on paper the, the, the sort of style of play I, I certainly remember a few tough games Burnley have given uh, Chelsea at Stamford Bridge so that's probably got something to do with it of course that, that opening day win uh, a few years ago um, springs to mind I remember Ashley Barnes going around kicking people in 2015 and remarkably staying on the pitch and not doing great damage to Nemanja Matic's leg. So I think that's probably where it comes from. Um, But Chelsea will certainly hope that their record continues. They certainly need for it to continue. As I sort of made made clear earlier, it's all very well sort of having this damage limitation going on, but you've got to start winning games on a regular basis at some point. And, um, And Bernie seems like a good place to start in the league. Liam, Christian Pulisic got a hat-trick in this fixture last season. When do you think we can expect to see him back to the form that he finished in last term? He's looked a little bit out of rhythm since coming back. I think playing him on the right um, hasn't really helped him in the last couple of games. I I didn't understand that decision from Lampard to put Mason Mount on the left and Pulisic on the right when Pulisic is clearly arguably Chelsea's best attacking player um, cutting in inside into scoring positions from there. I think he's still finding his way as well alongside Werner and Havertz. It's a very different Chelsea attack that he's come back into. Um, But he looks physically back to what he was. It's just a case of getting his confidence back up and and getting back into those positions to score goals. So he's got a run of games now similar to the run of games that he had in that kind of September, October time last season where he really first hit his stride and showed Chelsea fans what he could be for this team. Uh, and so it'd be very good timing if if he could do that again. Tom, we mentioned it with Krasnodar looking nicely set up for, for Chelsea to win. Are you thinking that this time next week when we speak, we'll be reflecting on two victories? I'm, I'm just looking at, at Burnley's results this season pre-Spurs and, and they don't score many, but they do concede quite a few. Yeah, on, on paper, that's that appears to be the case. Um I think Burnley will will provide a test. They they are. I mean, obviously, well, this is this is on the proviso that they don't turn their season around against Tottenham this evening. But they are they are getting some of their walking wounded back. I mean, that their, their, their forward line now suddenly looks slightly more bolstered than it was with with Wood, Barnes, and Rodriguez all back in contention. Um, I, I suspect that Ashley Westwood will be swinging free kicks and centres into that box, which will provide the test of Thiago Silva and Edouard Mondi. And we'll have to see how, how they cope with that as a different... I mean, it's, it's it's almost a more cliché, typical English Premier League awkward away game in that sense. But, you know, Thiago Silva is such a classy defender, you'd expect him to come through that that challenge. Um, but, yeah, on paper, it's, it's again, it's an opportunity. It's a, a chance to... To demonstrate that they that Chelsea can dominate the ball, dominate possession, and carve out chances, and 
you know, and hopefully the surroundings will will inspire the likes of Pulisic, given what he did there last season. Um, maybe we'll see some, you know, Werner and, and Havertz reveling again. That's that is the hope because Burnley without Ben Mee in their back line are, are definitely more vulnerable. Um, Tarkovsky and Mee are such a, a good imposing centre half um, partnership, and and they have looked shorn in that area in in Mee's absence. Um, the the midfield has a bit of a makeshift look to it as well. So hopefully Chelsea can rest possession, rest control of the game there and dominate because that's what we need to see next. Yep, we'll react to that game in next week's pod. Uh, a quick elsewhere in Chelsea news. The under-18s had a hugely impressive 4-3 win against Norwich at Cobham on Friday, coming from 2-0 and 3-1 down. And no such luck for the under-23s. They've beaten 3-1 at Liverpool in a game which saw the home side score three times in seven first-half minutes. Danny Drinkwater and Baba Rahman both started in that game. A real game of two halves for Drinkwater, who couldn't have looked more disinterested in the opening 45 minutes and was the best player on the pitch by an absolute mile in the second half. So I don't know what Andy Myers said to him at halftime, but it clearly worked. Uh, anyway, that's just about it for this week. Before we go, though, let's see what the chaps have been writing about for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. Uh, Simon, you mentioned your piece reflecting on the draw at Old Trafford. Yes, and it, and it highlights um, what I was talking about earlier, about the, the different approach, the real contrast between how Chelsea lined up in 2019, Lampard's first game, and and this game. Uh, and I, I argued the point, as I have done in this pod, uh, why it was the right move. And, and Mourinho uh, would be quite proud of his uh, uh, young disciple, as it were, for the way that he adopted um, kind of tactics he'd be proud of. But another piece that's definitely worth um, having a look at is a piece I did with um, our German expert, Raphael Honigstein, about um, Jamal Musiala, the uh, the Chelsea product. Um, they did let go, um, not by any intent or desire, uh, to buy in Munich last year. Um, Musiala actually came off the bench um, against uh, Eintracht Frankfurt at the weekend for his eighth appearance, uh, which is remarkable for a 17-year-old to be playing for the best team in Europe already. Um, and he scored a goal, his second goal in Bundesliga. But um, So I delve into Musiala's story with Rass help and, and just why he's been able to make um, such great progress. But one to keep an eye out, which will be coming out later in the week, is um, one of the most bonkers interviews I've perhaps ever done um, it doesn't necessarily always have to be a big name all I'll say is that some of the stories that Chelsea legend Ratty Alexitsi who played a mighty I think it's about 63 minutes for Chelsea uh, in total um, about 20 years ago uh, let's just say that he had quite a few interesting things to say and I struggled not to laugh all the way through uh, what he was telling me so um, yeah Keep an eye out for that one because um, it's truly bonkers. Excellent. Looking forward to reading that. Um, Dom, you've teamed up with Stuart James to, to have a look at what it's like for players when they get frozen out by clubs. Yeah, and I suppose that's relevant to Danny Drinkwater um, and Baba Rahman, for that matter. <laughs> uh, and, and going back to Winston Bajarde, etc. At, at Chelsea. And it's really on both sides, um, both sides of the story, because often these players feel as if they're being unfairly maligned by the management. They, they may be victims of a change of manager um, and suddenly find themselves out of favour, training with the 23s or the reserves and with no hope at all of 
of coming back into the team. Other times it can be related to a contract clause. You know, if a, if a previous club is owed a load of money, if they make one more appearance and they just find that that appearance proves elusive, clubs decide they're not going to pick them. They're not going to give them that opportunity to have to, to pay more money. Um, and then there's the, the alternative as well from the management and why they sometimes ex- exclude these players uh, from their from their plans, um, whether it be attitude, uh, whether it be well anything really. And it can, it can it can be a, for a variety of different reasons. But Stu took lead on that piece, and it is it's well worth a read. He's, he's done a great job with it. Yeah, I enjoyed it very much. Uh, Theathletic.com/slash/ChelseaPod, the place to go to sign up. By the way, for just a pound a month, if you're not currently a subscriber. Liam, what's on there now for for people to read, and what have you got in the pipeline? So I'm working on a piece uh, early this week about Angolo Kante and whether his recent performances should be of concern to Chelsea fans. Ah, the new Mason Mount. There's only one Mason Mount. Theme on the Twitter, didn't it? That people (laughs) seem to think that Angolo Kante is now dispensable. Let's have another referendum on a Chelsea player. Um, (laughs) And later this week, I'm going to be looking into Chelsea's myriad of uh, attacking combination options front threes front fours any formation you like and what could what could possibly get the best out of some of the expensive talent they've assembled excellent sounds good looking forward to reading those uh, do join us again next week when we'll be looking back on the games that we've previewed today but for now though my thanks to dom to simon to liam and to producer adonis but mainly to you for joining us listener we'll catch up again with you next week As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.